Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Hello and welcome to Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. My guests today are working together to help create a more compassionate Dallas. Amy Hofflin with the Crow Collection of Asian Art joins me in the second half of the show to discuss the initiative that she helped spearhead. But we start off with First United Methodist Church Dallas. Dr. Andy Stoker is their senior minister. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having us. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Um, friend of the show, Sam, hooked me up with you guys, and uh, I, I wanted to get in touch with you you guys have been a part of this community for a really, really long time. It's almost an <laughs> understatement saying that, uh, and, and you do a lot in the area. So I, I want to get to know more about this church. Tell me about First United. Who are you guys? What do you do? Yeah. First United Methodist Church, as we say every Sunday morning, we're in the heart of the Arts District in downtown Dallas, and we find ways to connect not only with the arts, but also find ways to connect with our community. Uh, engaging, yes, definitely in worship, gathering people into our beautiful building at the corner of Ross and Harwood, uh, but also sending people out into the community to engage in a multitude of ways, uh, serving, serving neighbors with food, uh, with hope, with grace, uh, sending people out into a local elementary school, JJ Rhodes, has been a great blessing recently to us in, in our ministry uh, to see uh, adults and children come together around the idea of reading and, uh, and those little aha moments that happen in the classroom, those little aha moments that get people engaged uh, in whole new ways and allow children to see uh, their lives unfolding. So, Okay, when you say 170 years, does that mean that that building was built 170 years ago? It is a, for those that don't know, it is a gorgeous building. I yeah. love an old church. It's a beautiful building architecturally. It's great, but... I'm not sure. Has it been around? Has that church been around for 770 years or just a congregation? The congregation has been around for 170 years. We were actually, we actually started in what is now Uptown. Okay. And so we moved in 1926 to the corner of Ross and Harwood. And, uh, and that's been, it was the first million dollar building in downtown Dallas. Really? Yeah. And, and it's, uh, I tell people all the time when I'm giving tours, which is my fun pastime at the church, <laughs> I love giving tours of the building. I say, our church is as beautiful outside as it is on the inside. The people of this congregation are amazing. My ministry has been transformed by them. Uh, and what we do as a congregation, I believe is in response to how we're living out our life within the walls of the church with grace, forgiveness, hospitality, inclusivity, how we live within the walls calls us way outside the walls of the church. Actually, St. Paul United Methodist Church, just seven blocks away from us, actually is the first Methodist presence in downtown Dallas. Mm. And they are our, uh, 
are really sister church in so many ways. So it's it's a great gift to have two United Methodist churches bookending the the arts district. So uptown, then the arts district. Uh-huh. So this church has always had a knack for excellent choice in real estate. <laughs> Is that a cornerstone yeah. of your of your church? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we've we've always. Um, I believe there's something about our. Um, our great hope for the city in making the decision of staying downtown. We want to be where the action is, and we want to represent the very best of our imagination of how God interacts with each one of us by staying connected in our community and staying downtown. I think it's so important for a city for a city as itself, for for just the landscape of the city, the way it looks, to have that presence, to have that old church presence, it, it ties it to the community. It, it helps people understand the history of that area. So, is there a certain amount of pride that goes into to being where you guys are at and being that church that you think of when you think of downtown Dallas? Absolutely. I, I, part part of our our understanding of ourselves is we represent ourselves as a traditional church. Mm. Now, when we say traditional, that doesn't mean that we're not going to innovate. That doesn't mean that we're not going to be creative, that we're not going to look for that next opportunity to uh, to cast a vision for how we're going to respond to the needs of not only our community, but the world uh, around us. So when we say traditional, that helps us to be guided mm. by a kind of ongoing principle, a value, a virtue, if you will of love, of hope, of peace, of compassion, so that when people come to, the, come to our church, through the doors of our church, they see the traditional ways of doing worship uh, and maybe even a traditional way of engaging in church life. Our sincere hope is they're also seeing an innovation on what is traditional, an innovation on what is relevant and innovation on how to connect more deeply in education and service for our city. I feel like so many congregations now where they're based out of it, it looks more like a mall or something like that. To have that traditional look, do you really feel like it impacts the way that you're able to serve the community? That that really puts a a certain foot forward in the way that you, you view not only your position in the city, but how the city views you? Yeah, I... You know, during the same period of time when our church was being built, Fair Park was being built. Hmm. And so you have a neo-Gothic architectural structure like First United Methodist Church, Dallas. And then you have Fair Park, which is Art Deco. And so you kind of wonder which one was anti-cultural, counter-cultural, cultural. And now we see these two institutions, Fair Park and First United Methodist Church, Dallas, as well, we wouldn't we wouldn't understand Dallas any differently if if or we'd understand Dallas differently if we had these two different looking churches or different look, looking institutions. Um, as part of what's going on in the arts district in particular, it's nice to have variety in the arts district to see a a different look of building, a different look of uh, of of how people might connect with creativity with beauty. Uh, and so First United Methodist Church and the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe, the Cathedral Church, mm-hmm. uh, is very is a very different look from the Church in the Round at St. Paul United Methodist Church. You have these, these images of how people connect with not just the divine, but 
with a movement of culture. So you really do give tours, neo-gothic? It's a neo-gothic building? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. My, my staff would crack up, or they will crack up if this part of the interview is aired that I said, yes, I do give tours. <laughs> so, so the going joke is that I give the longest tour out there. <laughs> I I, when you started explaining it, I was full beans in. I mean, I am just, ah, oh, you have my attention. I'm going on one of these tours. Come on, come on. I would absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, okay, so, you know, I don't know of a lot of other churches that are so deeply tied to the arts. And this could be just in the area. You know, you're in the arts district, so maybe it just happened that way. But it really sure. seems like this church is built around the idea of really using the arts and, and actually being an active participant in it. It's on your it's on your website, which is firstchurchdallas.org, and it's just a part of the things that you guys are a part of. Has that always been a philosophy within the church? Yes. In 1962, then-senior minister Bob Goodrich decided to align with a vision for Dallas to have a cultural arts district. So— in that year, there was a vision cast that we would have an entrance right off Harwood that would be the entrance to the Cultural Arts District. We affectionately call it our Harwood entrance. If you go down, go down a, a set of stairs, mm. you'll find a 140-seat theater in the round, and you go up the stairs and you find our traditional sanctuary. If you take a little jaunt, you can walk through an art gallery, the Goodrich Gallery. Uh, we've decided, and for over 55 years, we've decided that we're going to be the church where uh, creativity and beauty come to life. And next Sunday, when you come visit, uh, you'll hear our choir. You'll sense our emphasis on what it means to have a collection of voices, both in our chancel choir and collectively in our congregation to, uh, to gather ourselves around the creative, around what is, what is uh, speaking to us through the liturgy of, of music. Uh, part of our great, if I can say pride, as, as a congregation is to always open ourselves up to what may be new and relevant. So in our Rotunda Theater, for example, our Rotunda Theater series will host secular and religious plays. Um, we've had summer musicals for many years, over 50 years. Uh, and at those summer musicals, you'll hear uh, anything from Annie Get Your Gun to Joseph and the Amazing Techn Technicolor Dreamcoat. Uh, it's one of those places where we're trying to, um, uh, I, I truly believe we're trying to stay, uh, stay in, I believe we're trying to stay connected with the vision of being the arts district while offering something new and maybe just a little twist on what is traditional. Uh, how does it, how does a church with such a traditional look take on, uh, take on Annie, get your gun, for example, uh, take on a show that might be, uh, advancing the conversation around sexism or racism. Uh, in so many ways, our arts ministry helps to inform, uh, how we educate ourselves and how 
clergy staff and lay professional staff educate our congregation about relevant issues. What better way than the arts to stay connected and help us with that narrative? I feel like this is very unique, the way that your church deals with culture and the way that it looks at culture. Would you say that this is a unique congregation because of that, or am I just unfamiliar with churches that really like to use the arts and culture as a way to uh, to better their community and their congregation? That is an excellent question. Two things. The first is uh, churches, I believe— always try to innovate on their context. How are we going to connect to a community that's ever-changing? Mm. And I think that's that's always part of being, especially a 21st century institutional denominational church. How do we innovate on, uh, on what we've always done and stay contextually in, integrated? Uh, the second thing is uh, I believe that there are, there are ways of doing church that speak to hope instead of fear, that boldly set themselves in the present, looking toward the future, than always looking backward and wondering where the good old days have gone. For me, Every new visitor to our congregation, and this is the reason why I love to do the tours, every new visitor to our congregation helps me to articulate what's going on outside the walls of the church so that as I am trying to cast a vision with God's help on creating a place of hospitality and grace, that every new interaction with the new visitor helps me to be and live up to the church we've been waiting for. So this interaction, it helps you as a leader of this church or as a human being to understand your place in that church? Yeah, uh, a little bit of both. Um, I, I've, been, I've, been so, I've been so blessed in my, in my career uh, to serve churches that that have always been forward-looking, uh, it's been a great gift for me uh, throughout through, throughout my my career. Uh, there's a there's an aspect of every pastor I think that you long to be affected uh, as as a human being by the work that you're doing, uh, while at the same time. Part of that is taking yourself and taking your ego out of the mix of it all and imagining what is powerfully present for the nine-year-old girl who will see the 22nd century. Uh, to take your ego out of it enough to say, I'm only here for a short period of time. I wonder if what little I do in leading this congregation will affect the kind of bold discipleship, bold followership that can widen our opportunities to share grace and love to a whole new community 
maybe speaking a whole new language, maybe speaking a whole new uh, way of being, a cultural understanding. Um, I might be getting too preachy there. No, I, 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 in all honesty, I, this conversation went a lot deeper real quick than I thought it was going to, but I, I'm fascinated with subjects like this, and I think that it, it's rare that you get to talk to somebody, especially in your position, about that those kind of deep understandings that they have uh, on what they do and how they do it, especially when it revolves around religion. Yeah. So I, I think that this is something that a lot of people don't get to hear a lot of, but it's something that people are interested in hearing about. I appreciate your honesty on that subject. Dr. Andy Stoker is a senior minister for First United Methodist Methodist Church Dallas, their website, firstchurchdallas.org. How long have you uh, been with the church? I've been senior minister for four years. I had the privilege of serving the church for two years as an associate minister. Okay. So it's rare in the United Methodist system to serve a place twice. Really? Uh, it's a great gift for me to be back. Yeah. So is it common to move between congregations, or how does that work? Absolutely. We call it the itineracy uh, we call it itineracy, where you are um, you are moved from church to church, uh, and so uh, it's it's a great gift to serve in that in that capacity, and to return to First United Methodist Church has been really eye opening and really engaging. I'll tell you, uh, my wife and two boys, fourteen and nine, have found an open welcome space in in this space in in this place in profound ways mm. you guys are so closely connected to downtown dallas do you guys live in dallas yeah we live in we live uh we live in dallas okay uh both my boys are in disd schools and uh and are finding finding this great connection with the city and our church life really wonderful and meaningful one of the other things that I wanted to talk about today, and we've been kind of alluding to it, is the idea of compassion. Coming up in the second half of the interview, I'll be speaking with Amy Hoffland. She's the executive director of the Crow Collection of Asian Art, and uh, she was instrumental in getting a a charter together that you guys are a part of. I'm talking about the Compassion Council for the Dallas Arts District. What What is that? I explain what that is to me and for the listeners. Yeah, it's... Uh... The Compassion Council is an outcropping of our Dallas Arts District Executive Board. It's a way for us to envision 70-some-odd stakeholders in the Dallas Arts District around one theme. How can we drive a whole community around uh, some collaborative principle? So Amy and I were in conversation about what it means to take on compassion as our common theme with these other organizations. How might they take on compassion within their, within their own organizations and also as they're, uh, as they're looking to expand their reach into the community, how those persons might come to a show or a concert and know within the back of their minds that they're supposed to hear a message about compassion. Mm. Uh, it's transformed the way we interact, I think, with one another. Um, and it's, it's helped us to understand what we're really called to in the arts district. In the 1960s, um, Dallas didn't have a great reputation. And, uh, and so our sincere hope is that by the 2060s, we will have turned Dallas uh, into a city of compassion. What does it look like for 
every aspect of our city to turn to compassion as we deal with our neighbors, as we um, find new partnerships, as we engage with the next generation, as we reach out to job service to different parts of our community, as we seek better housing policy, as we integrate our own understanding of compassion around health care and hunger and, uh, and education, how do we then find the, the root of who we are as a, as human, as a humanity to bring forth a grander vision of who we are and how we are to live in this city together? Compassion is an underlying philosophy for almost all religions, mm-hmm. and, and it's certainly something that you would have been teaching uh, in different ways or capacities as as a preacher. But did you really put a lot of focus on just the idea of being a compassionate person until you started with this initiative and really start to to focus on it? Did, did your view of that word and actually exercising it change once you started to focus on it? When I started to focus on compassion was actually when I was experiencing my call to ministry. I was serving a church in Lubbock, and I had a volunteer job. I had a lot of volunteer jobs when I was uh, when I was serving a church in Lubbock, and I volunteered for uh, to drive a bus for the aid services of Lubbock. And so my job was take clients to the barbershop, the mall, the grocery store, etc. And I'm a child of the '80s. And I grew up with AIDS, AIDS being the you don't touch doorknobs, uh, you don't sit on public toilet seats. There was this uh, huge prejudice against persons who were living with AIDS. And so I'd get behind that van and I'd just be 10 and 2. 10 and 2, looking ahead, clients would come into the van and I would just focus on my job as driving. One afternoon, one of the gentlemen one of the clients came in and he uh, jumped into the passenger seat and startled me. So I looked right at him and he said, how are you doing today? And so uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Kept my hands at 10 and two. I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you very much. And he just kept asking me questions. His name was Scott. Well, every time I'd pick him up, it was about once a month, we'd have this conversation. About six months into my time with aid services of Lubbock, um, Scott didn't show up one day, and other clients said, uh, Scott's, Scott's ill. Um, I, okay, well, I'll look forward to seeing him. Um, clients came in a few weeks later and said Scott had passed away. Um, I don't know where Scott's funeral was. I didn't go to Scott's funeral. Uh, I was uh, serving, serving this church, and I was called down to the main office of the church, and uh, there was a woman standing there with a big garment box, a gift box. It was a huge garment box. And, uh, and all she said to me was, um, I know Scott would want you to have this. So I thought, boy, I, okay. Opened up the garment box and it was Scott's ministerial robe. Scott was a pastor and he was asked to leave his church when he came out and said to his congregation that he had AIDS. And it was in that moment, Nick, that I knew that something needed to change about how I greeted every single person. It wasn't about keeping my hands at 10 10 and 2. It was about being blatantly, blatantly benevolent to every single person. 
how can I seek joy in every single moment of my life and recognize in you, recognize in every new person that they are precious in that very present moment, not only to me, but to God. And it is because of that experience with Scott, and it's the pride when I wear his, uh, when I wear his robe, and when I find, uh, when I find ways of connecting more deeply with our community who live at the margins, that I'm touching a deeper self of not being a pastor, but truly being a more whole and compassionate human being. And that is why I do what I do today, is that one experience. How often do you wear those robes? Uh, I've worn Scott's robe. Um, I'll wear Scott's robe on Sunday afternoon for our service of light and remembrance. Uh, when we recognize persons in our persons in Dallas County who have not had funerals, uh, who have not had a funeral and had their name spoken, um, I'll wear it Sunday afternoon. Uh, I wear it to family uh, weddings, baptisms, funerals. Um, Scott's robe uh, is not in our robing room at church. Scott's robe is in my closet at home. I keep it really close by to remind me that what I'm called to be and to do happens from my home and into the community. You mentioned it. Let's go over it a little bit more. This is coming up today at 2.30 is the third year of service and service of light and remembrance. You kind of you, you, you just went over a little bit, but, but talk to me about what that is and, and the reason that you guys do that. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, a few years ago, our youth from First Church went to Chicago and they discovered that there was a, a wonderful gathering every Memorial Day, recognizing persons who uh, were indigent, some suffering from homelessness, that passed away. And there was a memorial service given uh, for uh, for for those those persons in our community, so we decided let's start that for ourselves uh, here in Dallas. Uh, what we didn't understand uh, at the time was there are just about two hundred people every year who are living in indigent indigent conditions or suffering from homelessness that do not have family to recognize or claim their their bodies and so what we decided to do was to have a memorial service a community-wide memorial service on all saints sunday and that's what happens sunday at 2 30 and we will read every name including infants read every name and then we will light a candle in memory of those persons who have died. Um, our youth will be there to sing. They take great pride in, in this service and view it as something that, that is close to their hearts as they brought it back to our, our church, yes. But more importantly, our young people brought this back for our community. Let's finish off by looking ahead. Let's look to next year. You guys have an, initi you have an initiative that you guys are starting up. 365 days of compassion. We're looking towards making 2018 a year of compassion. 
How how are we going to do this? What does this look like? Yeah. So in in so many ways, uh, our city lends itself to this kind of thinking. I believe that it's within each of us to take on one act of compassion every single day next year. Now, we, we have two months until January 1st, so I'm helping everyone with their intentions, their resolutions for 2018. Let me just put the invitation out there. Let's make every day a day of compassion in the city of Dallas. Centering yourselves around prayer, meditation, uh, around some kind of connection with the transcendent, uh, be it beauty or grace or Jesus, <laughs> whatever that might be for you, take time to pray. And maybe in that time too, have an opportunity to be present. Be present with one in your life that, uh, that you've fallen away from, asking for forgiveness, staying close by them, uh, and inviting ways of, uh, of grace to be part of, of your, own, your own life. Then maybe you set a goal of giving financially to a nonprofit, a religious group, a community organizing group that can move the needle on education, on housing, on jobs, on hunger. Uh, maybe there's something out there that you can put your money to, that you can set your vision along with God's and see and sense a transformed world. The fourth thing you might want to do is find an organization to serve with. It's a faith community and a nonprofit organization. Maybe there's something within your business that are, is calling you to, to align with. Maybe your business has a partnership with the North Texas Food Bank or Crossroads Community Services. How can you begin to see how your life can become a life of service through a compassionate act? And the last thing I invite people to do is to bear witness to compassion. Not to, not to fall victim to fear or anxiety or loss or shame or blame, but instead rise above it and bear witness to the good, to the compassionate, to the loving, to the just, to the merciful, to the peaceful. Uh, how can we turn ourselves away from fear and our align ourselves with hope? Not to get too biblical on us here this morning so early, but how can we see ourselves and hear all over again the biblical mandate to fear not? The biblical mandate to fear not is in Scripture as many times as Scripture says, glory be to God, praise be to the Lord. The, very, the, second, the number two most frequent phrase is fear not. Let's take that on courageously to have every day next year be a compassionate day in Dallas. Coming up today at 2.30, the third annual service of light and remembrance at the First United Methodist Church at Dallas. All are welcome. I've been speaking with Dr. Andy Stoker. He is the church's senior minister and master tour guide. <laughs> Sir, uh, it's been wonderful. Uh, I can't wait to have you back in. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Nick.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 